When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are working through the process of investing according to the best investors in the world. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Ben Graham. Um, sometimes this is called value investing. I think it's the wrong name for it. We, we would buy Amazon in a heartbeat um, if we can get it at the right price. So we'd, <clears throat> we're not that sort of easily classified what we're looking for is buying $10 bills at $5. And I don't care if the $10 bill is Amazon or, or Facebook or, you know, a, a chocolate company that grows at 4%. I, I just want to buy a $10 bill for $5. That's the whole idea. <laughs> and I don't want to lose company money. by run by wonderful people who uh, have values that match your values. Absolutely. And I, I thought <clears throat> since there's so large, there's a large number of us out here doing this kind of investing. And I thought I'd um, just read really quickly um, a letter from 2008 from Alan Meacham to his investors at Arlington. Alan started investing uh, using other people's money when he was 22 years old. Hmm. And he just retired. He's done. And mm -hmm. he's made, I think, several hundred million dollars for himself. And um, here's what he said. He said, basically, our investment mentality puts a premium on figuring out what to avoid rather than what to buy. We prioritize the simple and easy and quickly discard the complicated. These straightforward principles helped us stay focused in a handful of companies that were resistant to the financial malaise of 2008. So the key thing is, He's talking about rule number one, investing. Rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And he's taking it very seriously that their focus of their fund, which compounded money at, you know, I don't know, 25% a year or something. He just did fabulously well. Um, the focus of his fund is to not lose money. What to avoid rather than what to buy. And then what to buy is what's left. <laughs> <laughs> We try to avoid everything, if possible. And one of the ways we do that is we try to make sure that we're buying stuff at a good price, right? That is and that is the way to do it. I mean, you're right. It's one. It. It's one of the ways, absolutely. But um, as you uh, have said many times, it all comes down to even if it's an amazing company that you love desperately, if you buy it at too high of a price, you can still lose money on it. Yep. So. We have so, been doing this checklist for um, for a long time, and we're nearing the end. We've been through pricing with 10 cap, pricing with payback time last time, and this time, and we may not get through it all this time, but this time we are moving on to actual valuation, correct? Yeah, this is the only method we use to actually put a value on the business, what we would call intrinsic value, what the thing is worth. Um, what in rule number one, I call sticker price, you know, the sticker on the car that tells you what they'd like to get for it. So this is the view of the company 
from the the MBA seats. This is this is what MBAs like to do to figure out the value of a business. Oh, I and heard this you is, say NBA. Oh no, like, M- M- I was MBAs. imagining like the t- tippy toppy of the stadium seating overlooking a basketball court, not being <laughs> like like seeing the big picture or something. That's uh, like immediately like that's what I thought you meant. Okay, this go is, on. This is more the view from from the. Uh, from the Wall Street seats. This is what's commonly <laughs> called a discounted cash flow analysis, um, which is one very commonly used method from business school at figuring out what what the value of a business is. And um, we use it a little bit differently, but it's essentially a, a discounted cash flow analysis. And then we have to have a few things for it. So here's the checklist. There's nine points in here. Okay. And we're going to go through them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but the first one is I am confident. Wait, I, can I just want to. I, I just want to <sighs> refer everybody to know what to do here. This is the valuation section, and it's the margin of safety valuation. If you're um, following along in our book, Invested, it's in chapter eight. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. You ready? <laughs> okay. I am confident I can pinpoint a long-term growth rate of earnings in cash that is bullish but not crazy. I'm confident I can pinpoint a long-term growth rate. Then what? A long-term growth rate of earnings in cash. Of earnings and cash. That is bullish, but not crazy. That is bullish. You know, if you're going to write these down like this, this is going to take us forever. These are, these are some long sentences. <laughs> well, I've been I could doing send it this since to the you. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Try to write faster. I am confident I can pinpoint a long-term growth rate of earnings and cash that is bullish but not crazy. Yes. Ready for the next point? Um, I mean, I'm just really intrigued by all these different words that you're using. So, like, this one is <laughs> bullish but not crazy. Another one before this was reasonably conservative. Uh, That's right. This is a different view of the value of the business. This is a view that says... If I got a free lottery ticket, what's the lottery look like? That's what this thing is doing. This is effectively a way of saying, all right, if I buy this super cheap, right? If I get a $10 bill for $5, there's very little downside. It's like I'm getting a free lottery ticket. Well, Mm -hmm. what's the real upside here? Is it $10? Is it $20? Is it hugely more than that, right? So I kind of want to see how big can this go? It's a way of getting at uh, okay. the upside hmm. of this company. Okay, that okay. makes a lot more sense. All, All right. right, next Number one. Number two, my projection of future earnings and cash flow is nowhere near the industry ceiling. My projection of future earnings and cash flow is is what nowhere near the industry ceiling nowhere near the industry ceiling 
I mean, really, are, you're writing too slow. you got to write faster. This is boring me to tears. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, no. Um, I'm writing them because not only do I want them in my investing notebook here, but also yeah, because great. everybody listening is going to be writing them. Well, write and fast. No, they're in their cars driving down the highway. They're not writing this down. They're sitting there going, come on, come on. Hurry up. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe All right, so ready. write faster. If I were you guys, I would be writing them down. <laughs> My projection of future earnings and cash flow is nowhere near the industry ceiling. There you go. So this is what I mean by that. If you're looking at the industry ceiling, you're looking at how much sales can this industry handle? So, and then from from that, you are all, obviously you're deriving the free cash flow and earnings of the of the business based on, you know, what percentage of revenue your earnings and free cash flow are. So effectively, what I'm asking is, have I really looked to see that we're not hitting the ceiling and I'm making ridiculous projections of free cash flow? So again, we're touching here to make sure that this thing can really grow. We've talked about this before. Are you looking like, so if you're out 10 years, are you saying even like that 10-year mark shouldn't yeah. be near the industry ceiling? Right. Still even room past that. Even the 15-year mark shouldn't be near the industry ceiling. So that really kind of throws out any major companies that are running their industry, that are dominating their industry. Well, it depends on the growth rate, right? In other words, uh, Facebook yeah. has dominated its industry, but what's its growth rate? It's un almost unlimited. Because it's just a question of how much market share can it take away from all the other forms of advertising, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it depends on the industry. Okay. All right. Three, okay. I am confident in a future earnings multiplier to determine future value. In other words, I can put a P ratio on this that I'm pretty comfortable with. I'm confident in a future earnings multiplier... To determine future value. To determine future value. So out 10 years, I'm going to use a multiplier on the earnings to come up with a future value. So if the earnings are $1,000 and I'm using 10 as a multiplier, I get a future value of $10,000. Well, how solid am I on that 10 that 10 multiplier. I need to know mm -hmm. that it's a good it's a good number. So I need to be comparing this to its industry and to its history. I can't use a multiple of uh, or a multiplier a PE ratio that's ridiculous that'll will never be achieved. But at the same time I don't want to use one that's extremely conservative because what I'm looking for is how big's the pot. And that means um, I want to use one that would be reflecting a bull market uh, and the company's doing great. The industry's doing great. The company's doing great. There's no storms on the horizon. It's a bull market in the stock market. What's the P.E. ratio this company would get in that situation? And ideally, for most companies, it's going to be two times whatever growth rate I'm using. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that's not too big. Right? So 2x is the biggest I'm going to do, two times the growth rate. But I want to be sure that it isn't stupid because... Nobody in the industry ever gets more than a than a fifteen PE ratio or something, right? Yeah. So you said that you kind of added like, oh, reflecting that everything's going really well. Yes, I I want to use a P. That's going to be, result in a higher growth rate, and, and in effect, the PE ratio should fall from the growth rate, follow from it. 
So I want to use a growth rate that's reflecting a bull market, you know, a PE that reflects a bull market. Yeah, essentially everything's going great. Not we're at the bottom of a cyclical recession or something. And why not sort of choose like a middle of the road one rather than... I'm looking for really how big's the pot of gold? What's okay. a reasonable number I could put up there for the size of the lottery? Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm using a historically reasonable current earnings number, growth rate. Oh, sorry, that's that's the actual earnings. I'm using historically reasonable current earnings, um, meaning if the earnings are are four dollars and twenty one cents per share, that's not an aberration. It's not really low. You know, for the last twenty years they've been at mm -hmm. eight eight to twelve dollars. Or it's not really high. For the last 10 years, it's never been over a dollar. And last year, it was $4. I'm For using a historically reasonable current earnings number. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's basically like, again, it's like throwing out the outliers. Like if it's crazy because of something happening, like this year might be a crazy year for earnings for a lot of companies. Um, you would maybe take that out if you think that the pandemic isn't going to come around again. Right on. Right on. Okay. All right, number five, I'm using a conservative minimum acceptable rate of return, M-A-R-R. -R. Minimum acceptable rate of return, that's reasonably conservative. In other words, I the, the lower the minimum acceptable rate of return, the less conservative it is. The higher the minimum acceptable rate of return, the more conservative it is. I know that doesn't sound intuitive, but that's how it works. Because this minimum acceptable rate of return is our discount rate. It's what the rate of return we expect every year from this investment's cash flow. And so I'm using something that's pretty conservative. I use a 15% minimum acceptable rate of return. And I, I can tell you with a high degree of assurance that right now, Wall Street is probably using an eight <laughs> when they do this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm using a conservative minimum acceptable rate of return. So I right. always use 15% because that's what you use. Yep. What would make you change from that 15%? The only thing that would make me change from 15% is if I And by knew change, I guess I mean like go higher because you say stay conservative. Oh, um, well, 15% is conservative. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a beast. Although, of a, yeah, I a, guess you could, I guess you could downgrade it and still be conservative yeah. with some i mean like i said the only thing that would make me change off of that is if there was a permanent change to uh the 10-year t-bill in my lifetime will never be above one percent <laughs> then i will start reducing that yeah well it's possible it's possible i mean <laughs> good lord <laughs> 140 years of investing experience is being challenged every day by these Federal Reserve central banks. Totally. So, uh, yeah, brave new world a little bit. Okay. All right. I'm so using there's that a one. conservative minimum acceptable rate of return, figure out what's conservative for that situation and uh, adjust it accordingly. Yeah. Okay. Next and basically one. use 15%. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right, number six, I've factored in the cyclicality of earnings and cash flow. Cyclicality, it's got, I, I don't want to use an earnings number or cash flow number that's not factoring in cyclicality, which is sort of a little bit of a duplication there on uh, 
on you know long-term growth rate for earnings are, are, are actually the earnings number are all affected by cyclicality. So if, if you know Facebook isn't cyclical, so I can use a you know I can probably use last year's there, but um, CF Industries is highly cyclical. They do fertilizer and it goes up and down. So I've mm-hmm. got to choose uh, a number here um, that is reflecting that. That's all. And when you say factored in, so that means just basically like adjust the number. So adjust that... it up or down. Okay. Yep. Yep. I factored in the cyclicality of earnings and cash flow. And I'm putting in parentheses adjust the number. Okay. And since we're using um, earnings here, uh, never mind, scratch this one. Um, next one the business price has a margin of safety compared to the business value. In other words, when we when we calculate our margin of safety price, we are getting a large margin of safety. And the business large, price, course, when you say the business price, what's that? That's the margin of safety price we, we just came up with when we oh. ran the calculation. Oh, okay. The business price in this equation has a margin of safety compared to the business value. Right. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, when I do it, I'm going to get a 50% margin of safety. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a number... That is exactly like I'm buying a $10 bill and I'm paying $5 for it. That's the number I'm going to come up with. So when you do this, just make sure that you are getting a large enough margin of safety that you feel confident in buying the company. I don't think Warren Buffett uses 50% anymore. I think he used to. But I've seen Berkshire step in and start buying companies with less than a 50% margin of safety. In fact, just recently, they started buying more Bank of America, and there's no way that's at a 50% margin of safety right now, in, in my opinion. So it, it just, you know, this is for you as a checklist to put the numbers in where you want them. When I put them in, I'm looking for a 50% discount. Is When you say business value, does that refer to something that's a separate calculation? What do you no, mean by business in this value? Calculation. Business value is what we're going to come oh, up with here when we you do mean this. the full price, and then you're saying the sticker price. The um, the end price is the uh, discounted price, right? That you're then using a margin of safety to uh, cut down, right? Okay, right. So if I come up using this calculation, I come up with a sticker price of a hundred dollars a share, then I'm going to buy it for half of that. That's just my my way of doing it. Buffett is paying more. He's paying maybe a fairer price than that in this market hmm. um, with this one stock that he's buying. So um, that's going to be up to you. But for me, it's 50%. Okay. So this is a reminder to cut it in half or cut it in thirds or cut it in whatever's. Yeah. Make sure okay. you have one. Okay. Right? Exactly. And so now you, you'll do the calculations and the calculations are... 
in the book invested, they're in the book payback time, they're in the book, they're they're in the uh they're in, in rule the number book, one. Rule number one. Um, but just to run through it really briefly, really briefly, you essentially grow the earnings at the growth rate for 10 years. Then you multiply that earnings that you arrived at. Let's say you start with $10 of earnings and you grow them for 10 years at a certain growth rate and you end up with $100 of earnings 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Then effectively what you do is multiply those earnings by your multiplier, your PE ratio down the road. And let's say it's uh, 40. So now you got 40 times 100 or 4,000 is the value of the business in 10 years. Now divide that by four, which is a 15% per year discount. Divide it by four and you'll come back to a thousand bucks. That's the sticker price or the business value. And then divide that by two and you get $500. That's what you should pay for it. So don't, don't worry about those numbers making sense, but you just get the general idea on how the math goes. That was a good, good? short little explanation. Thank you. Okie dokie. And then finally, I am confident enough in this valuation that I would put 20% of my net worth into this one business at this margin of safety price. Okay. I'm not so going to talk about this one again. forcing myself. Yeah, don't, please. <laughs> We're basically You're forcing so ourselves. You're so over this checklist. I am confident enough of this projection or valuation that I would put... <laughs> 20% of my oh net my worth God. in it. I'm just, I'm just imagining at people that gnawing 50%, their knuckles. Um, at that 50% discount, yeah? Yeah, that'll work. Just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. And that is the margin of safety analysis and that's our third method of valuation. And so to summarize, if I may. Please, I, please. Okay. To summarize, I love to start off with the 10 cap analysis because it gives me a really quick and easy way to figure out a decent price to pay for the business. That does not require that I come up with this growth rate or this PE ratio, both of which are really speculative. Yeah. I really don't know. Yeah. That that I can look out into the future 10, 15 years and be accurate in any way about a growth rate, which lures us into either making ridiculously huge numbers or ridiculously low numbers that might prohibit us from buying the company. So 10 cap is a lovely, lovely way to get at the mm -hmm. price mm -hmm. that we might mm -hmm. want to pay. And then payback time, equally lovely way that does require a growth rate, but does not require a PE ratio. Yay. So we don't have to worry about that part of it. We just have to get a relatively conservative growth rate that we could live with. And we can come up with a, a price where we'd get our money back out of free cash flow over a certain number of years. Okay, cool. This one, margin of safety, this is where we speculate. It's just, okay, let's, let's hope things go well and see what this thing would be worth um, if that's where we're looking at it. So... This is much more speculative, much more likely to be off in, in, in some direction and, or the other. So we use this as a check against the other two. And effectively, I love it the most when I come up with numbers that are all in the same ballpark here. All mm -hmm. three of these valuation methods come up with a price that I could pay today that's in the ballpark. 
nice. each other. So that's how we use them. Okay. So is there anything on the checklist after that as like a summary or other sections or anything? Or is this the end of the checklist? Oh, no. This is not the end of the checklist. Amazing. I love the checklist. Um, we are, but we're going to stop here there. for today because this is, we've sped through these and... And let me, just, let me just uh, recap. What we've okay. got is a checklist that starts off by saying, where do you find this investment? That's radar. Who's in there with you? And why do you like this? Why do you think you could be capable of understanding this business? And then we really break that down into an understanding of the business and its value through meaning, moat, management, margin of safety uh, analysis, which we've gone through. And then what's left in the story is why do you love this business? Does this match your values? So we want to put our money where our values are. We'll talk about that next time. Then is this on sale? And if it is, there better be an event that creates fear and the event needs to fall under certain parameters. We'll cover that checklist, which is super important. And then finally, the most important thing on the whole checklist which is the story inversion, that we must mm. invert the story. We've got to turn this on its head and we've got a checklist for that. And that, if you don't do the inversion, you will get burned someday. Those Amazing. are the, every, that's where you get nailed is you didn't really look at what was wrong with your story. Mm. And that's the, the last Part of the it's checklist. also so the most challenging into. part for so many of us. It, it's really hard to do all this research on a company and then basically like throw it all out the window and try to figure out what you are like, like a negative view of what you've discovered. I know. So, so um, it, it's better to do. A, that's why a checklist is so important for it. Yep. And it, it really is nice to do a short form of this to give you an idea, right? So you can. Rather than doing it step by step by step, you sort of more like going up a spiral staircase. You're, you're kind of working through the same checklist at deeper and deeper levels each time. And, and that saves you a lot of time because if you can get to the inversion fairly quickly and see that it really is a good inversion, you, there's really good reasons not to buy this business, mm -hmm. then good, you're done. You, you don't want to do all this work and then land on the inversion. You just want to do enough of the work that you can understand the inversion. Mm -hmm. and start to see if it holds water right away. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll definitely get to those here in, in the near future, but that's it for now. That's got us through the, the hardest chunks of this thing, and the rest of it will go easier, I promise. Okay, sounds good. All, All right. right. Thanks, everybody. Hope you're having a good summer, and uh, we'll be back soon. Time to go play. Bye. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.